0: Is the will of God. And the second thing about our personal life. Is simply this. I have not been created in a sense to really please you. But to please God. And how I walk with him and how I function. And the question always has to come down. Lord, am I pleasing unto you? Am I pleasing unto you? Don't ever try to please Pastor Brown. Don't ever try to please a deacon or an elder. You want to please him. And that becomes the real issue, even with spiritual gifts. I think one of the reasons we don't see the gifts operable as we should see them in the church is because it would stir up a hornet's bee. Even now, we have this thing that if somebody really speaks in tongues, they think they are greater than those who what? Who don't speak in tongues. And if your gift somehow, and it's strange that tongues is the main thing that magnifies or manifests itself or that is produced in the church and all the other things lay dormant. No, the whole issue is this here. There are some gifts that are very easily copied. And the question has to be, are they legitimate? But I believe all the gifts are basically operable. Now let me give you the conditions for which I'm able to state that. Because all the gifts are found in the person of the Holy Spirit, not in the individual. And the Holy Spirit assigns that gifts as it pleases Him based on the circumstances in which one may find themselves in. Who, de- who indeed desire To serve Jesus Christ. For this purpose. The gifts enable Christians to serve the church. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's the main purpose of the church. Of the gift. It's not for me to show off. It's not for me to say to others. See what I got. See what I can do. It is for the benefit of the body of Christ. The gifts are given through grace. They're not earned, per se. There are requirements, and and we'll go through those as we continue to go through this. are given by grace. And guess what? None of us deserve to have the gift. If you gave our gifts at Christmas time based on what people deserve, wouldn't, you wouldn't have to uh, shop so much. But you give them simply out of love. And some gifts you buy, you buy them out of the need of the person and you want to help provide that what? That need. And the Holy Spirit knows we are needing needy people. And he provides that gift based on our need. But he also knows this. There is that strong desire in us to serve the Lord. Do you have such a desire? Is there something burning in you that says, I want to serve God? Is there something in you that allows you to just keep moving and keep doing because you want to serve God? And when that's there the enabler, the Holy Spirit comes along and he enables, he strengthens he empowers, he gives wisdom he gives discernment he gives you what you have need of that the body of Christ might be built up. None of us deserve it. The operations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is in order to fulfill John sixteen 14. Let's go there for a moment. John 16 and verse 14. Because, see, there is something being fulfilled there. And remember, all things were created by who? By Christ. And all things are done for his glory and his praise. So he says in that verse 14... He says, speaking of the Spirit of God, He will bring glory to me. Now understand this principle. No one else can really bring glory to God but the Holy Spirit manifesting Himself through you. But it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit using you to radiate the personhood of Christ in you. And only the Holy Spirit can produce that. And he goes on and says, to me, by taking from what is mine, taking from what is Jesus' that is his, and making it known to who? To you. That the Holy Spirit, yes being God, and yet Jesus Christ being God, yet being the creator of everything, the Holy Spirit takes that thing, takes that gift, takes whatever it is, applies it in your life, but it comes through Jesus Christ, but He's applying it into your life, that you might be that very image of Christ in ministry. So when you see the gifts operating... What you also see is Christ working in the body of the church. Now, we need to understand that that is our purpose. That the gift should not be something of an object that we seek for. I don't have to run after a gift. I don't have to beg for a gift. If I desire Jesus and him alone, and I want to be more like Jesus, and I really want to be in the ministry of the work of the church, of the work of Jesus, if I really want to be a builder of his kingdom, the gifts come automatically. Why? In the flesh, you can do nothing. In the flesh, you can do nothing. But I can do all things in Christ Jesus as the Holy Spirit strengthens me to perform that he might be glorified, that he might be seen. And oftentimes, we miss that. That it is the Holy Spirit who stays behind the scenes and uplift the name of Jesus and the work of Jesus in me and through me that the world might see this Jesus. And not the Holy Spirit per se, but Jesus Christ, who he's going to uplift. So I'm not seeking the gifts of the Spirit what I ought to be seeking is the ministry that God has for me, that the gifts of the Spirit might flow through me in order to accomplish the work that God has set before me. The gift should not be the object of our seeking. As we seek more of Jesus and to become more like Him, the gift itself becomes more apparent and noticeable. In our lives, by the manifestation of the Spirit revealing the work of Jesus through the ministry that we perform. And oftentimes, when you're doing it, you may not recognize it until somebody else brings it up. <laughs> and you stand back amazed that they saw something in you that you may not have even recognized were in yourself. Because you're being led by the Spirit. And therefore you're not out there saying, see me, see what I'm doing. Because it's just done because there's a heart for Jesus in the ministry. And you're just performing it out of love for him. Out of love for him. In Romans 8.29, let's go to it. Because he he tells us something here. And the question you have to ask is this. How does that happen? How does that come about? Who works this work that it may come about? So in 8.29, he simply makes this statement. Twenty nine, yeah. For those God foreknew. Now, God can't be God without knowing everything. If God didn't know everything, God'd be in trouble. Because some of us sneaky enough to try to throw him off the throne. But God knows everything. And he says, for who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now, for me, and I know there's other teachings on this, for me, you are not predestined to become like his son until you have received his son. That's a plan already put into action. That's a plan just awaiting for you. That's a plan just waiting for the unbeliever. God don't wait till you're saved and then say, oh, I better think of something that they can do. No, he already has a plan for you. He already has a work for you. The question is, when do you join his ranks? And he says, you've been predestined to be like Him. Well, who's going to do that work? Because in all honesty, we can't do it. Everything in me in one sense of the flesh resents the very character of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is asking me to live a life that is totally different than what this flesh desires. And this flesh wants to repel, wants to rebel, wants to act against what God would have me to do. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Only reason I use Elaine so often because she's my wife, and I don't, I'm not picking on anybody else. <laughs> Temptation comes. I have to remind myself she's my wife. I have to tell me I'm married. I don't care how good something else look, I gotta talk to me. She gotta talk to her. We're standing in Kentucky Fried Chicken. And a young man came up and asked me, Can I talk to your daughter? <laughs> That there was some years ago, but, but I was with my grandmother, so I thought maybe he thought I was with my grandma, and this is how I was with <laughs> my daughter, and he wanted to buy her chicken. I told him, go ahead, because we to in Kentucky Fried Chicken, go ahead, See? <laughs> and he bought it, and, and I saved, but <laughs> that's as far as it went, because she was able to say thank you, but also no thank you. And sometimes you've got to be able to say, no, thank you. Okay? No, thank you. And that whole process is something in life. When Satan tempts, we have to say no. Why? He doesn't want me to act or look like Jesus. But I know who I belong to. And because I know I am the bride of Christ, because I know I am a child of God, because I know what He went through to separate me from sin, that I say, no. No. Because His purpose is that I become like His. And the only way I'm going to be like Jesus if I'm able also to manifest the things that Jesus did as he ministered to others. And that's part of the purpose of the gifts. That the evidence of Christ in me can also be seen outwardly. Now, A.W. Tozer puts it this way. And he writes in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. If you never read it, it's a good book to get. But what he says is simply this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How we vision God will be partly how we vision ourselves. How we really see God in his holiness. Is how we will also see. ourselves. How we see God. In his purity. Is how we will see. ourselves. How we see God. In his compassion. Is the compassion. That we will see. How we see God. In his acts of kindness. Towards us. Will be the kindness. That we also show others. And God, this all-merciful God who shows his mercy allows us to show mercy towards others. So how we vision God, how we see God has an influence, a very strong influence on us on how we are going to function. Now, if God isn't significant and he's insignificant in your life there's going to be very little thoughts about him about him as Melvin was teaching today on prayer and, and what prayer is you know I kept also saying to myself it's learning to talk with God constantly James James asked me going down the hallway he said you was out there cutting them trees all by yourself I said who told you that and I wanted to say to him the Lord was out there helping me all the way and him and I was talking all the way through it (laughs) that even when you're cooking can you talk to the Lord sometimes you need to pray over what you're cooking Lord, I don't, don't know how to season this just right. I saw mom take a pinch of this and a pinch of that. Is my pinch too much? Is my pinch too little? <laughs> Lord, I have guests coming over today. And I want them to be able to sit down and really enjoy this meal. And I want them to be blessed by this meal. And I pray that this meal really in. Enrich their bodies, that they can do your work. And as they sit there and eat, their desire, even though they may not ask, I want more, I want more, I want more. Do you pray about it? As you see your children growing or your grandchildren growing, do you pray over them? They may not be present, you may not see them. But Lord, would you keep your eyes upon them because you're the God that never slumbers. You're the God that never sleeps. And they're going out and they're coming in. Lord, would you bless them? And Lord, would you remove every obstacle for them? And Lord, those that are not going to be removed, will you give them the strength to go through it? That you're praying. That you're talking with God. Oftentimes when we say prayer, we put prayer in a position, don't we? We got to be on our knees or we got to be this way. Or we have... No, prayer is conversation with God all day long. That song we sang, I've been with Jesus all day long. How many of you practice that? And Jesus is not just a Sunday event. But he's an every day, every minute event going on constantly. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How we vision God shapes us. How we vision God shapes us. As a young woman, how I vision God and how God sees me is important then that begins to dictate how I dress. Am I dressing in such a way to please God or am I dressing in such a way to be attractive to others? And the issue is, I'm dressing to please God. When I serve, I'm serving to please God, not man. And that whole thing, how I vision God, it helps. Me to understand me and how I am to act, how I am to perform. If it's considerable, even before I walk out the door in a sense, yes, I look in the mirror and I say, Boy, okay, everything's in order. God, is it pleasing to you? It might be pleasing to my eyes. But God, is it pleasing to you? A lot of times Elaine won't let me go out the door until it's pleasing to her. Change this shirt. Change this. Change that. You know. My daughter the other day, boy, she saw me in my work pants. She said, Dad, where are you going with them pants on? You know the whole process how other people perceive us even in what we wear and see if I'm an ambassador for God I need to always be in such a manner that I can really represent him that whole thing I'd rather turn people on than turn people off and in my dress, in my speech in all the things I do, either I'm turning people on or I'm turning people off. But if I'm really considerate of God and I'm thinking of God, that's going to be so important to me. Everything about my life begins to change because in everything, I want to represent him. Therefore, it is important to remember also, and sometimes we forget it, that we are designed to function in a body. We're designed not to stand out really as individuals, but that we are a collective body that people are looking at called the church. Like I shared with you last week about the men who jump out of planes and their cry. As they stand at the door ready to jump, they jump individually. But once they hit the ground, they become a unit. We are saved individually, but once you are placed in the body of Christ, you become a unit. And we have to learn how to function together. And we get to serve and we get to contribute our gift to the project that God alone has assigned for us to do. Something that we could never do in and of ourselves or by ourselves. When we have the vision, we have to vision ourselves as part of a local and global community called the church. And somehow Satan has so divided us that we don't know how to function as one body in a way that it really glorifies Christ. We rather function as individuals. And life is not just about me or you. Pastor Brown is not important. Pastor Brown is not important. What's important is the body of Christ. That's what's important. And we have to see that. Now go with me to James chapter four. James chapter four and verse three. He simply says in four three When you ask You do not receive because you ask with wrong what? Wrong motives. You're seeking something with the wrong motive. You may want this gift because you want to be pastor. You may want this gift because you want to be the Sunday school teacher. You want to have this gift Because you want to be the head administrator. You want to have this gift. But understand something. The scripture makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit assigns the gift and that he places you in the body where you are to function. The Holy Spirit does that. Not man. But the Holy Spirit. And James says, you don't have certain things all because you want them for what purpose? The wrong motive. Let me give you one of these illustrations here that I think we all can picture it. I'm sitting out here. But I want to be up there. So I start doing things even if I got to be an armor bearer. I'll carry the suitcase. I'll carry this. I'll carry that as long as I can get up there. Now, I haven't got to the pulpit yet, but I, I am sitting up there now. Do I have the wrong motive? Just to be seen by people should not be important. Just to sit in a seat that may get me closer to the pulpit is not important. And one of the things that have really been lost in church life is, am I called? Now, we're all called. Then we are called to positions in the body. To function. Understand a pastor's role, an elder's role, a teacher's role, is only a functionary role for the good of the body. It doesn't make one greater than the other. It doesn't come with any high privileges. If even pastors, if we could understand anew, our main job is to be the servant of all. Not to be set on a pedestal Not to be given something special, but that God has called us to be servants as Christ served. And we need to recognize that. That we're all servants. And we do it because we've been called and placed. Not out of wrong motive. Not out of the desire of being the boss. Not out of the desire, I want to just be seen. A young man called me this week because he understood we had let go of another young man here. And he called and he said, my nephew just stepped down from his church. And I told him to give you a call. No, he don't need to call me. You know. Because I already know about the young man. And so forth. He took senior pastor just a year and a half ago. But boy, when the people start making demands, you got to be at this meeting... You got to do this and you got to do that. He said, no, this ain't for me. Because being a pastor is just not preaching on Sunday. And he stepped down. And the whole process is to understand. There's a great deal more behind just being seen on Sunday. And that whole process, this is not the greatest thing to achieve. The greatest thing for you and I both to achieve and to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That includes all of us. Nowhere do you find and strip well done, my good and faithful pastor. Well done, my good and faithful teacher. Well done, my good and faithful deaconess. Well done, my good and faithful elder. No. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because that's the greatest thing we can ever achieve. That's why one of the gifts is faith. Because in order to really serve God, we have to have faith. Because he calls us to do difficult tasks that are beyond ourselves. And he says, oh yeah, the reason you don't have because you're asking with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your what? It's it's your pleasures, not his, yours. Now, different values in the gift but not in the person. What am I saying? Everybody couldn't be a Billy Graham. But guess what? Billy Graham needed a Savior. Billy Graham needed the Holy Spirit working in his life to put him on the platform that he was on. But even for a Billy Graham, none of us never knew who helped set that platform up. None of us never knew the people who helped prepare that whole thing that was going to take place. But somebody had the gift of helps. And helps, it's important. But in our eyes, sometimes it's not seen as important as who? As the Billy Graham position. But the Billy Graham could never take place without that little gift called helps. Pastors could never do without people around him helping and contributing. In Galatians three we're all the same. And we need to recognize that that we're all in this for one purpose, for the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3 in verse 26 through 29 he says, "You are all sons of God." In other words, we're all children of God. It has nothing about titles, positions here. He says we're all children of God. We all have to be saved by the blood of Christ. We all have to be empowered for whatever we're doing by the Spirit of God. We are all called to be obedient to His command, to His Word. Not pastor's Word, not deacon's Word, not Sunday school teacher's Word, but to His Word. We are called to. He says we are all sons of God. Through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself how? With Christ. Therefore is neither Jew nor Greek, saved nor free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What he is declaring in this is simply this. At the cross we are all the same. In the body of Christ we just function differently. But we're all the same. There's no reason for me to be envious over male's knowledge over Brother Beecher's knowledge, over this person's knowledge. I know where Christ has placed me. That's what I need to be concerned about. Not about what my brother or my sister has, but about the responsibility that God has given me. Now what responsibility has God given you But you're not carrying it out because you're so busy looking at your brother or your sister and talking about what they're not doing, not recognizing you're not doing. And he just simply says, boy, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We all have what? The same promises given to us. We have the same strength given to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We all possess the same abilities. And that ability is simply this to function and be empowered to do the work that God has assigned me, not someone else. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what I want to do is just talk for a few minutes on the issue of our weaknesses and how we sometimes see it. He's talking about the person here. Have any of you ever seen these individuals who have no arms or have no legs? Or, and it's amazing what they're able to do. It's just amazing how God somehow gives them the ability to do. Yes, they have to rearrange things. They may have to bring counters down to their level, but somehow they do it, you know I couldn't imagine putting a spoon in my between my big toe and this and get it up to my mouth I'm good to get my knees just up where they cross each other let alone up to my mouth but I've seen those individuals with no arms, take a spoon put it in the bowl lift that up, bring it up and how they trained themselves to do that. Elaine I was watching on, <laughs> the young lady with no arms and uh, no legs. And how she come down the steps. But she's a makeup artist. And how she puts the thing in her mouth, the little brush, and how gently she can do the eyebrows, put the stuff on, feather, all done with her mouth. With the brush. You let me try to paint up your face with the room. But yet, she's able to do it. Now, if she was to come into church because of her condition, the first thing we would say is how weak she is. First thing we would be talking about, what somebody can't do, rather than to discover what they can do. And understand that what they can do is being done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 22 there, he starts off in this fashion. He says, "On the contrary, those parts of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. They're what? We need them. You, we need the weaker part of our bodies." Just because this left hand can't do what this right hand does, doesn't mean I cut it off. And he says, we need them, because those weaker elements, those weaker individuals, they teach us something. And he goes on, and he says, And the part that we think are less honorable... We treat with special honor. We treat with special honor. In other words, we put honor on them. Is what the word really means. Special honor. We put honor on them. How many, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but T4 sites, a mass killing during Hitler's reign. It was to take everybody, and these are not Jews. These were German citizens. German citizens that were disabled. Hitler said, we're going to get rid of them. Those are the ones we run experiments on but we get rid of a host of them. In Hitler's regime, you pass 90, you gone. Because it was a waste of funds. Or you were considered an unfit. And the designation for unfit, life unworthy of life. You were a person that fit that definition that you were unworthy of life. And it was a designated group of people who had no right to life. And Hitler was able to say those people needed to be disposed of why is it in the church we don't have a large population of blind folks? Why is it in the church we don't have a large population of handicapped folks? Why is it in the church we don't have a large population of people in wheelchairs or on their little go-karts or they're walking? Why is it in the church we don't have. Don't they need the gospel? Don't they need Christ? But they know if they come in here they are not seen as perfect. We look at each other as perfect, whole. But those who are disabled shun the church oftentimes and sometimes they start their own little church. Because they are more acceptable. They're not stared at. I purposely had to kind of like catch myself. I was at the hospital and and this young lady, she just had all these bumps all over the place. You know, it just disfigured her. And I said, Lord, let me see the person behind all the distraction part. And sometimes we have to Ask God to help us to accept the person that sometime we don't want to approach and do. But sometimes really look at the church and ask, Why don't we have this other? Because they are seen as the unwanted. They are seen as the discarded. They are seen as the unfit. How many of you, if we had a mental person, would sit next to that person? Oh, he might go off. She might go off. This might happen. That might happen. I'm going to share something with you. When people sit under the gospel, it's a healing of the mind. It's a calming of the mind. It does something. It does something. Remember when a young man was just down the street and he would come up in here and get his little donuts and sit down for a little bit? He attended the church in Wadsworth and his dad just called one day and said, thanks for allowing him to come. The, the, The thing is this here, to appreciate that individual who may not be like us. Therefore, he says, we treat with special honor. We give to them the respect and honor that we would give to anybody else. Yes, they may be unpresentable, but we help them to become presentable. It is, that word there is deformed, indecent, unseemly. humbleness. In King James or modesty in the NIV is outward, put on. What are you putting on? You're putting honor on their life. You're putting respect on their life. It doesn't matter how they look when they come in. Christ died for them. And we put honor on them. Because God still wants to what? Use them. If God wants to reach an unsaved world that is all wrapped up in drugs, he will oftentimes save somebody who's been on drugs, who knows that world, who knows that life. They come in here, boy, totally different. Got a different language at first. But God is going to train them and then send them back out to reach a world that you and I can't reach. To reach a segment of the population that you and I don't even want to talk to, let alone sit next to, or let alone invite them in. They might mess up our church. And He says that we are putting on, we see the outward but we're putting on honor to them, respect to them. Now, in verse 27, he says, each one of you is a part. When you get to that verse 27, look what he really says there. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Whether you weak, strong, whatever you are, educated, uneducated, wealthy, poor, whatever it is, He says, you're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. When I step into the church of the living Christ, I should feel no shame. I should feel nobody pushing me out. I should feel nobody who I can't approach or they can approach me. Why? We're all part of the body of Christ. And he says, and in the church, God has appointed first all apostles. Now, because God did that first, does that make them somebody special? Does that put them before me? No, because every one of the apostles had to also go along the way of the cross. They had to take their turn of recognizing that Jesus Christ died for them and they had to confess their sin and they had to turn from their sin and they had to begin to live for Jesus Christ. Everything you and I go through in receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, they had to go through. The thing is, in the Old Testament, you don't read about apostles. Apostles. But in the New Testament, they are the first, and they become what is called the foundations and sometimes the pillars of the church. Had to start somewhere. But because someone starts something, don't make them somebody special. Then it says, secondly, boy, he says prophets. And boy. Understanding. Only thing an apostle is is a messenger. He's commissioned by God just like you are. And today we have this thing apostle going all over the place. Understand something. There are no more apostles. But there's still the spirit of an apostle. Someone who wants to carry God's message. That's the spirit of it. Positionally, no more apostles. You were not with Jesus. You have not seen Jesus in the flesh. You are not there. But you are a messenger who can be sent. The prophet, he says, the second. The prophet is people who proclaim God's message. Some were foretellers in the Old Testament. Some even in the New Testament. Agabus and his group. The whole process is this here. The main thing again is, it's inspired speaking. I want to share God's message. I want to speak on behalf of God and I'm inspired by the Holy Spirit to do so. Thirdly, teachers. One who teaches not only about God, but also the duties of man towards God. Because teaching is not just a one-way street. It combines both. What God reveals of himself and what God desires. And then how man is to wrap their arms around those things that God commands of them And then work them. Do them. Put your hands to the plow and not look back. And he's presenting men to God too. It's not that God is unaware of our weaknesses. But one thing a teacher does, he does bring out our weaknesses. For correction can be made by the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes you and I, We have to confess this is a weakness before the Holy Spirit can really do anything. Then thirdly, boy, he says there's a number of you who have this skin. Let me get back here for a moment. He says teachers and then workers of miracles. Thirdly, the teachers, So you have what? The apostles, number one. The prophets, number two. Thirdly, the teacher. Now, do you notice something? He don't say four, fifth, sixth. He just begins to take off with a list. And I think this list is as an example. This is not the exhaustedness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're just about there. He says, Then workers of miracles. Now I want you to recognize what he says. Workers. It's in the plural sense. It's in the plural. There are many workers of miracles. Miracles is not just parting the Red Sea. The miracle is not just calling Lazarus from the tomb. The, the miracle is not just taking someone who's blind and giving them sight. Miracles are those little things that are happening every day that sometimes we don't recognize. You know what a miracle is? And I'm going to share this in all honesty. Look at Lions Fellowship and you'll see a miracle. Because by our rights, we shouldn't be. If you take statistics, we should not be. But we are. And the only reason we are is by the grace of God. And his purpose. And he says there are many who are doing miracles. And he goes on, boy. Many with the gifts of healing. Now, healing again is not just the area of healing somebody physically. The greatest healing going on today is mentally. The greatest healing today is granting peace inwardly. And a person knows that they have received peace Inwardly, and that they can function because without peace you cannot function well. So don't think of the gift of healing as something as Lazarus come forth. Don't think of the healing just as something that the blind now see. Think of the healing that you bring to other people by bringing a smile on their face. Think of the healing that you can bring between families that are at odds with each other. All that is part of the gifts of healing. Healing. And praise God that God is still able to heal. Yes, if he wants me to walk, I'm walking. Yes, he wants me to see, I'm seeing. That if I got a withered hand, he's taking care of my hand. That God somehow heals me by that area of my body that is weak. He strengthens and gives me the ability to function as though that thing doesn't even exist, but it's doing everything it needs to do. And then he talks about the gift of helps. Boy, what's a little gift of helps? Roscoe and Charles out there drilling the hole to get a lock on the new fence. What's the gift of helps? Putting a lock on this door back here. What's the gift of helps? Just straighten out the chairs in the room where the tables and chairs go. What's the gift of help? It's just Greg taking the mop and sweeping the floors and emptying the trash cans. What's the gift of help? We couldn't function. You let the trash build up in here. We wouldn't want to come in here. When you go upstairs sometime and after them two-year-olds get done and you smell what's in that room, you wouldn't want to go in there. But without the gift of help's, that wouldn't be done. And sometimes we just take it for granted. Now the gift of administration, he says. Some people are very well organized. My wife is very well organized. You look on my desk, I got everything, but I know where it's at. See? And like I got to tell it, don't mess with it. See? But she got everything right in place. Hey. She's an organizer. I'm a finisher. I know I want to go from A to here. But she wants every step. I just need to know where we starting and the end. (laughs) And some people have that gift of organization. And they are needed in the church. And it's helpful. And then those speaking with different kinds of tongues. One of the areas that hurts us today as a church, I believe very much in the gift of tongues, but I also believe in the gift of interpretation. And when you speak the tongue without No interpretation. The body cannot be edified. And the purpose of the tongues, if you read in that list of gifts, is that the body may be edified by what God has now said. But when we're doing it and no interpretation, who's being edified? A lot of people being seen. A lot of people being heard. But is the body being edified? Let's close out here in verse 29 and this is what he tells us to do now remember when I started off I said there's a lot of envy and jealousy and different thinking about people with gifts and their positions and this and that and I think there's more gifts because in twenty nine 29 and through verse 31 he said, and are all apostles What's the answer to that? No. Are all teachers or prophets? No. Are all going to do healing? No. Will all speak in tongues? No. But then listen to what he says in that verse 30 and 31. Do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater, and this is why I think there's more gifts, look what he says, gifts an inexhaustible list of gifts. He says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Then he gives us an example of one. Love. 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 If you don't have love, you really can't perform any of these. Because the purpose for which you are Exemplifying that gift is because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you love the people in whom he has died for. That you're doing what you're doing. And he says, seek the greater. In other words, there's others. Inexhaustible. So don't be envious or jealous over somebody who you see that might be exercising one of these gifts that has been mentioned. But recognize, because you're in the body of Christ, you are gifted. Because you are in the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit wants to use you. He's not calling you to use your own strength. He's calling you to allow him to use your physical body, to use your mind, to use your mouth, to use your hands, to use whatever you have that he has gifted you with to glorify Jesus in his kingdom. Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord. that, Lord, that we can give honor to the weaker vessels because, Lord, you have gifted them also. May we not discount them. And may we not be envious because I'm not the pastor or I'm not the elder or I'm not the teacher or I'm not able to do this or do that. But, Lord... May we say to the Holy Spirit, use me according to your will. And allow him to exercise and allow him to manifest the gifts that he desires to manifest through our lives. My gift may be only words of encouragement, but I have a winsome spirit whereby I can encourage people and somehow I can put words together in a way that other people cannot and I can really encourage and give people hope. Maybe my words are just words of kindness. It is the ability to call somebody to raise their head up. It is the ability to say to a person, you're worthy of this. This act of kindness says that you're worthy. It's the ability to put value upon a person. And maybe, Lord, it is that gift of helps. Maybe I can just pick something up for somebody else. Maybe I can just help them get a bed to sleep in. Maybe I can just give them a table where they can sit down at a table and have a meal. It's the gift of being able to provide for others that they have need of. Without any resentment. Without any vain pride. but that I'm just able to help. Would you minister to us, Lord, because we're the body of Christ. There's nobody in here that's above somebody else because we all had to go through the cross. We all had to be washed in the blood. We all need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to work through us. Would you work, Lord? Would you call us to walk a closer walk with you? Would you bring us to that place where we don't grieve the Holy Spirit, we don't quench the Holy Spirit, but we cooperate with the Spirit? Lord, we love you. And we want to demonstrate that love that we have for you towards others. do something very special in each one of us today. Would you speak to each heart? Would you somehow, Lord, put your stamp, your hand, your fingerprints over that life of that person that they might know that you are dealing in their life, you're interceding in their life, that you're calling them to something beyond themselves. Would you do that, Lord? And Father, we just thank you for your word. Continue to set us free by your word. Continue to call us unto yourself by your word. Continue to make us aware of the work of the Spirit in our lives for your glory. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.